Are you prepared and ready? Are you prepared and ready? Now, school's just starting again, hasn't it? So you'd have had to make sure your uniforms was ready. Have a get your timetables. You need to pack your bags. And when you get to your lessons, you need to be prepared and ready. Not being prepared, I'm sure, would result in a little chat with the teacher. My daughter's just started secondary school. And she was horrified that the English teacher had given someone a misdemeanour already. But they had been warned. If they didn't bring their English book, there would be a misdemeanour. So she knows, through this other person, what will happen if she doesn't become ready and prepared. Now, some of us have moved on from school a long time. Do we remember our first job interview when we had to be at a certain place at a certain time? We had to be prepared for that interview. Okay? Where did we have to go for the interview? How long was it going to take us to get there? Did we need to catch the train? What would happen if we hadn't prepared and we'd miss that interview? I'm pretty sure we wouldn't have got the job. Going on holiday to the airport. Now, you have to be very prepared and very ready to go to the airport, don't you? You have to be in the airport how many hours before your flight takes off? And if you don't bring your tickets and your passport, what chance is there of going on holiday? I think a couple of weeks ago, there was a, a, some couple of older people got to the airport and they hadn't got their tickets. And the airport said, don't worry, we'll print them off for you. It'll just cost you £110. <laughs> That's an expensive lesson not to be ready and prepared, isn't it? So, yes, if we miss our, our flight, we could end up with a very expensive holiday because we had to book another one, or a shorter holiday. So we need to be ready and prepared. If we live in Ukraine, and we are told that our villages are going to be on the front line, we need to be at a certain place so that we can be moved out to safety. What's the consequence there of not being ready and prepared? It's not missing a flight on holiday. It's not getting a misdemeanour for English. It's about your life. So we have to be ready and prepared. Well, you might be saying, what does being ready and prepared have to do with our Bible today? Our Bible reading. What is being ready and prepared? Well, part of it is knowing, isn't it? Knowing God. Knowing what your teacher wants. Knowing what's required for you to go to the airport. We need to know so that we're ready and prepared. Just a a little summary. I'm sure you're all well aware that the children of Israel, they're in Egypt. They've they've been there for just over 400 years. And it all started very well when they first arrived. There was about 70 of them. Okay, They came down with with Jacob and with his family. They'd come to Egypt, I'm sure you know, because there was no food anywhere else. And Egypt had plenty of food in that desperate famine. And we all know as well, don't we, that God, in his providence and in his sovereignty and in his way of working, that Jacob's son was already in Egypt and he was number two in control of the country. So God had put him in a place that not only could he help those who were hungry, but he was in a very good place to help his family and Jacob and all the children. And we're going to refer to this group of people as the children of Israel. Because Jacob had a name change, didn't he, when he met um, the angel of God. So we're going to refer to them as the children of Israel. Now this Pharaoh, 
that was there when Joseph was there, he respected Joseph's God because of the wisdom that he saw that he had given Joseph and the way he was able to interpret dreams. And if you look at those chapters in the end of Genesis, read 37 to 50, they're great to read them all the way through because it's a great bit of narrative. Um, you'll see the way Joseph just points to God every single time. And Joseph said, what does this mean? Well, God says, well, God says. And so he really saw that God was. But now, 400 years later, the situation has changed. There's no longer 70 of them. There's at least 600,000 men plus women and children. And obviously, being 400 years later, that Pharaoh has long gone. And we have a new Pharaoh And this Pharaoh actually looks at the children of Israel and he sees them as a threat. He sees, what if they gang up with some enemies of ours? They're kind of in the country already. He said, we need to do something about this. So he said, we will make them our slaves. They will become our slaves. So the children of Israel, they became their slaves and they were treated rather harshly. And the Egyptians were ruthless with them. So they cried out to their God for help. And God heard, and he sent Moses. He sent Moses, and Moses went to Pharaoh. And he said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go. And this is in chapter 5. And it's interesting to know Pharaoh's response, because he said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel, know, let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. It's important to know so that we can be prepared and ready. Deep down, I suspect that he didn't want to lose his slave labour. But, you know, if someone comes up and says, so-and-so says, and he says, well, I don't know them, you're not going to respond. And that's what he said. Pharaoh didn't know God. In fact, it made him angrier, so he became harder on his slaves. You can imagine if you were there at the time. And you've heard Moses has gone to Pharaoh. He's gone to Pharaoh with a, thus saith the Lord. So God's in control. So we're going to be free. And then suddenly, Pharaoh's treating you harder. He's making you work harder. You're having to go and find the straw. It's no longer given to you. You're having to make the bricks. So they've gone to Moses. What's going on? We thought God would deliver us. God's in control of all things. But now our lives are just made harder. And we read that Moses takes that that conversation to God in prayer. He takes it to God in prayer. And God's reply in Exodus 6, I think, is very challenging. So God replies and says, I want you to know that I am the Lord your God. I want the Egyptians to know that I am the Lord your God. And I want you to know who brought you out from Egypt. We talk about knowing things, don't we? You know, we talk about Ukraine again. We all know that there's a war going on in Ukraine. But if you're living in Ukraine, you know that there's a war there. And it's a bit like God. You know, lots of people around us will know about God. and know what they say about God. But actually, do they know God for themselves, personally? There's a difference in knowing, isn't there? And this is what God wants. He wants the Egyptians and he wants the children of Israel to know he is God personally in their lives so it affects the way they live so that's what we're going to see we're going to see that God is teaching both the Egyptians and the children of Israel about himself 
So we're going to look at the ten plagues. We've got ten plagues that run through from chapter 7 to chapter 12. And some of you youngsters, I'm sure you've got them all in order. As you get a bit older like me, you kind of get them a little bit out of order. So I need my notes. So he's going to use these ten plagues to teach the children of Israel and to teach the Egyptians about himself. In fact, he's going to use his ten plagues to teach us about himself too. He started gently. Before he got to the first plague, we read, don't we, when Pharaoh was meeting Moses and Aaron, that the staff was cast down onto the floor and it became a snake. But the Egyptians did that as well. So Pharaoh kind of just dismissed it. So, well, my Egyptians can do that. Your God can't be that powerful if I can ask them to do it. So he dismissed God as unimportant. But in these ten plagues, I want us also to notice that God has patience and is kind. He does it gently because he wants us to really understand about his character and about his power. God says through Moses, he said, Let my people go, or I will turn the river Nile into blood. And there was no water to drink from. Moses, um, Pharaoh was actually coming out of his bathing time when Moses went down and did it. But God allowed the Egyptian magicians to do exactly the same thing. And they turned all the water that were in pots up and down the country so that it became like blood. Doing the Nile was the important thing because it was the chief god that the Egyptians worshipped. So God's power over the Nile showed that he was more powerful than any of their gods. But because the, the magicians had turned water into blood, God obviously wasn't that powerful. So Pharaoh would not let the children of Israel go. So we have the second plague. God came again and he said, let my people go. I love the way there's always a warning first. He always warns. Well, in nine of the ten he does. There's one he doesn't. We'll see that a bit later. But he sends a warning so people know what's going to happen. I'm going to send a plague of frogs. But he also allowed the magicians to do exactly the same. So if you can imagine coming downstairs in the morning, in the kitchen, it was full of plate. It was full of frogs. In fact, actually, as you came down the stairs in the morning, you'd be treading on them. In fact, actually, as you got out of bed... There'd be frogs on the floor. And when you lifted your covers up, there's frogs on your bed. There were frogs everywhere. But even though God allowed the magicians to um, produce these frogs, they couldn't take them away. And you read in this play, this difference, that Pharaoh is asking Moses to plead with his God, take away these frogs, take away these frogs, because the magicians can't remove them. But then when God removed the frogs, Pharaoh refused to let the children of Israel leave. So, Moses went back to Pharaoh and God says, Let my people go or I will send a plague of gnats. I will send a plague of gnats. Gnats don't have ruin a nice evening, don't they, sometimes? <laughs> they ruin a nice barbecue or something you're having. Imagine gnats everywhere. It said as, as if the dust would turn to gnats. But this time there's another difference. This time the magicians can't do it. The magicians can't produce gnats. And they say to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. 
This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh, in his wisdom, he ignored his own magicians. So when they, couldn't, when they could replicate so much, and then they couldn't do it, and they said, this is the hand of God, this is the finger of God, he didn't follow their advice. He ignored them and refused to let the children of Israel go. So God said, let my children go, let my people go, or I will send flies. I don't know if you like flies at home. It's a bit disgusting, isn't it? We've got some chickens in the back garden. And, um, yeah, when it's hot, we have to be careful with the flies. It's uh, not very nice. But there's a difference this time. So God tells Pharaoh, he said, there isn't going to be any flies where the children of Israel live. It's only going to be where the Egyptians are. So I'm telling you at the start, with my power... I can put flies in the whole of Egypt except for where the children of Israel are, in the land of Goshen. So Pharaoh hated the flies and he said, go, go, go and sacrifice to your God. But don't go very far. Don't go very far. But once the flies are gone, Pharaoh changed his mind and he wouldn't let the children of Israel go. And God's gently ramping it up a little bit every time. God God now came through Moses and said, let my people go or I'm going to kill all the Egyptian livestock. So it's starting to affect their wallet. I'm going to kill all the Egyptian livestock. But again, as God had said, and what God says has always come to pass, no animals are going to die in the land of Goshen. And still Pharaoh says, no, I will not let the children of Israel go. What number are we on? We're on plague number six. And God says, let my people go or I'll send a plague of boils. So we're starting to affect their health now. I'll send boils. I don't know if everyone, anyone has ever had boils, but they're, they're not very pleasant, I'm told. Very painful. If you have them on your feet, you struggle to walk. And it's an interesting fact that we notice in it that even the Egyptian magicians were covered in boils. And if they could have removed them, they would have done but they could not remove their boils. But Pharaoh continues to be stubborn and say, no, the children of Israel cannot leave. And then we get to the seventh plague and we get another slight change. As God is teaching them about himself, he says, let my people go or I will send hail. I love it when it hails. Sometimes the ground can go white very quickly if the hails are of a certain size. And... You know, you read reports, don't you, of hailstones the size of tennis balls, breaking windows. Thankfully, I've never had that. But here, God says, I'm going to send hail that is so heavy, it will kill anyone who's found outside. And it's going to kill any livestock that are outside. And it's going to flatten any of the crops that are growing at the moment. And with this, with this plague, he says... I could have just killed you the first time with just one plague. I'm that powerful. But I'm not going to do that because I'm showing you through each of these plagues, as they get steadily worse, my power. And actually, I'm not just showing you that I am God. It's through these events, these will be talked about for years to come. I'm going to be showing the rest of the world how powerful I am too. So it doesn't matter, Egypt or Pharaoh, that you think that you are a world superpower. 
you are nothing and your gods are nothing in comparison to me but there's a difference because God God says you've got to go and warn the people what's going to happen you've got to tell them if they're not inside if their slaves aren't inside if their animals aren't inside they will be killed and we read that then those who had started to fear the Lord went and did that these Egyptians went and moved the animals inside they were learning they were starting to know what God was like and what he said would happen and they were responding to this to this call that he had given them to go and do something and any Egyptian who moved inside who kept their slaves inside who moved their animals inside did not die but any who disregarded what God had said ignored his warning they died but again there were no there was no hail where the Egyptians were but despite all of this despite Pharaoh learning what God was like surely he was starting to know what God was like his people were starting to see what God was like he would not let the children of Israel go he was defying God and we read that in their verse you are defying me by not letting the children of Israel go and then we get to plague number 8 where God said let my people go or I will send locusts we all know what locusts do they come in and they eat everything that is in sight they strip it thankfully we have lovely little crickets and grasshoppers here which are very pleasant to try and catch and look at but in Africa, when the locusts come in and food is short, that's the last thing you want to see them stripping your crops. Okay. But we are a superpower here. But the children, the, not children, the people of Egypt were pleading with Pharaoh. They're saying, Egypt is ruined because of what God has done. Or actually, Egypt is ruined because you are not letting the children of Israel go. You are not submitting to what God wants. As we know, Pharaoh refused to let the children of Israel go. So the locusts came. And it says they, there were so many of them you couldn't see the ground anywhere. And they ate all the crops that had been flattened. They ate all the trees. They even ate the crops that had started to grow again since the hail. Everything was decimated. At this point, Pharaoh says, I have sinned. I have sinned. Please forgive my son. Please forgive my sin. Talk to God about my sin. Plead with him. Plead him that he'll take the locusts away. And when the locusts are gone, Pharaoh reverted to form and refused to let the children of Israel go. When we come to plague number nine, there was no warning. It just went dark. It was so dark that no one went outside. It wasn't the days where there were street lamps or anything. No one went outside, and for three days, it was pitch black. As we know, except where the children of Israel were living. They had light. They could go around looking after their sheep. They could go around to their neighbours. But everywhere else was pitch black. And Pharaoh said, go, serve your God, but leave your livestock behind. Okay. When you go, leave your livestock behind. And Moses said, no, we must do what God wants. We must go as he wants us to. We must all go. And Pharaoh had had enough of this and said, just get away from me. I don't want to see you ever again. And Moses said, that's, 
I will, you will not see me again. That is the last time you will see me. But Pharaoh says, I will not let the children of Israel go. So as we think back to those first nine plagues, we've seen God's power over water. We've seen God's power over wildlife. We've seen God's power over livestock, domesticated animals. We've seen God's power over weather. We've seen God's power over life and death. We've seen God's power over geography, over protecting some people, punishing some people. He's seen God's power over the sun, the moon. He's seen God's power over all of his gods. I had a quick look at how many Egyptian gods there were. And there, there, there was a god for crocodiles. There was a god for lots of things. But he had seen God's power affect all his gods. And they weren't, in, in, in God's sight, they were futile. They were useless. But he only, only respected God when things were so bad that he couldn't, or his magicians, do anything about it. And then he reverted back to what it was before. So then we come to our reading, the final plague. And God warns the children of Israel. He not warns them, he tells them. He says, after this plague, you will be free to go. And this plague, tell everyone about it. Tell the Egyptians about it. Tell Pharaoh about it. That every firstborn, whether human or whether cattle, will die. And it doesn't matter whether you are a slave. It doesn't matter whether you're Pharaoh. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter whether you're from another country. It doesn't matter whether you're Egyptian. And actually, it doesn't matter if you're a child of Israel either. It affects everyone. Everyone who has a firstborn will die. And that would have included me. I'm the oldest in the family. Unless. Unless you are prepared and ready. Unless you follow the instructions that I'm going to give you. You've seen already with the plague of the hail that I will give a warning and people who followed what I say were saved. And here, you must be prepared and ready for this final plague. And this is what you've got to do. You are to take a lamb that is a year old on day 10 and bring it into your house. This lamb has to be perfect There should be no marks, blemishes. It mustn't be lame. It mustn't be one that you don't want. This has to be a prime, prized lamb out of your flock. And then on day 14, at twilight, you have to kill the lamb. Take some of the blood and you have to put it on the doorposts, either side of the door and on the lintel above the door. And that is the house that you must stay in. That is the house that you're going to eat the lamb. And God is very specific with instructions. You are to roast the lamb. Don't eat it raw. Don't boil it over water. You have to roast it. And with unleavened bread, so without bread that's taken time to prove and rise, you just eat it unleavened with herbs. And then anything that remains in the morning, burn. But while you're eating it, you've got to eat it quickly. Okay, you've got to have your shoes on your feet, your belt on your, around your waist, your staff in your hand. You've got to be prepared and ready to go. And God gives these very, very clear instructions. 
because I'm going to pass through the land of Egypt and I'm going to strike down all the firstborn that haven't followed these instructions and painted the blood around their door lintels. And the consequence of them being prepared and ready wasn't a misdemeanour. It wasn't a rap on the, on the knuckles. It wasn't missing the holiday or having to spend more money. It was like the Ukrainians. Okay. The Ukrainians, it could be death. With here, it would be death. If you didn't follow God's instructions and trust him, it would die. Imagine if you were the firstborn son. What would your reaction be? Dad, are you sure that's enough blood on the posts? Do we need to make sure that it's on there? In fact, as the first one said, Dad, I'll do it. Let me do it. I'll go out and I'll paint the doorposts. Mums, mums love, don't they? And they say, Dad, have you, have you done it yet? Have you made sure that that blood is there? Because we know what God is going to do. And during that night, up and down the land of Egypt, people were dying. Pharaoh's son died. And he summoned in the middle of the night Moses. And he said, go, take your families, take your livestock, just go. And as they were prepared, and as they were ready, they went out into the wilderness. And later on in verse 12, it's interesting, we have that number where it says there's 600,000 plus women and children but it also said it was a mixed multitude and I love what that may mean you know the Israelites may the Israelites may have had some Egyptian slaves or servants that heard the message and they sheltered under the blood in the house some of the other Egyptians they'd responded to the warnings in the plague they may have heard and gone actually this is the God that I want to follow we had it with Rahab didn't we if you know the story of Rahab, we have heard what God has done with you. We are scared, but I will trust him. So we have this Egyptians who know God and that mixed multitude. So I love that. So it didn't matter who it was. If they had followed what God had wanted, God would have preserved them. Now, God wanted the children of Israel to put a marker in time. This was a very, very important thing that was happening. Okay? And we see that through the rest of the Bible. And we read, don't we, in verse 2, that this month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. We're going to restart the year from this particular point. We always know when the year changes, don't we? Well, God is helping to remember because they then had to keep the Passover every year in memory of what this was. And it wasn't just them who experienced it. Their children had to do it, and their grandchildren. In fact, it had to go on from generations. And there are Jews still keeping the Passover today. And as they kept the Passover, they would think back. They would remember what God had done, how he showed his power over all those things we described earlier, how he showed his, kind, his kindness his patience and his love in saving people. It's interesting, if you look, you'll, you'll find the Exodus and the plagues referenced so many times through the Old Testament and into the New. If you know your Psalms, I, I had a quick go on the computer and put a word in and see how many times it comes up. There's loads of Psalms that come up which reference back to God's mighty works as he redeemed his children from the Egyptians 
Psalm 105, it's quite a long psalm, but there's loads of it in there about it. So they were to remember, by having this feast, by having this specific point in time to look back to, they were to remember that God had kept them safe if they were prepared and ready. Now you might be saying, well, what does this mean for us today? How relevant is it for us today? Well, I think the first question we need to ask ourselves is, do we know God? Do we know God? If you don't know God, have a read through from chapters 7 to 12 in Exodus and see God's power there, see his kindness, see his patience. This event was three and a half thousand years ago. And as I said, Jews are still keeping the Passover meal now where they remember the events of this night. But some of your minds, I know, will have gone to our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. He was in Jerusalem at Passover time, wasn't it? He'd went up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And it was during the Passover time was when he was arrested. That's when he hung on a cross. That's where he died. That's where his blood was shed. God had used the event in Exodus as an illustration of an exchange, of a substitution, where something would die so that someone else could live. The lamb died, a person lived. And we have, don't we, those, those connections between the two. And that's why Jesus was called, wasn't he? The lamb of God. Jesus dies and lives are saved. Just like the lamb was pure, Jesus had done no wrong. But we are told, aren't we? We are told in Romans 6 that the wages of sin is death. We all deserve to die for the wrong we have done. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So just as that lamb died and its blood was painting on the doorpost, which showed the people, it was a sign for them, but it also showed God he would see the blood, he would pass over. It showed God those that were trusting him for their safety, those that were being obedient to him. And so we can look to Jesus. We can go to God and say, Jesus died on the cross. And in dying, he has taken my punishment. I trust and believe. That's why he died. And through his death, we can be saved from our punishment. God warns us. Acts 17, I'm sure you know in Acts 17, that Paul says one day, Jesus is returning again to judge the world. He's going to separate those who have submitted to God, those that have believed in the Lord Jesus, those that have trusted him and come and asked him for the forgiveness of their sins. And he's going to separate from those who might have known God, who might have acknowledged God for who he was, but actually didn't know him personally in their lives and didn't want him as part of their lives. They haven't asked him for the forgiveness of their sins. Now, we have all been warned. Each and every one of us have been warned from God's word. Are we prepared? And are we ready for that final day? Have we asked God to forgive us through what Jesus has done? Have you trusted that he has taken the punishment for your sin when he died? Don't be like Pharaoh. Don't try and negotiate with God. I'll just go a little way, not too far, because I know you'll come back then. 
Leave your flocks behind because you're, you're going to come back then. Just the men go. They'll come back for their wives and their children. No, it's, it's God's way or no way. There's nothing we can do by ourselves. There's no way that we can earn our salvation through doing good, through helping people. Yes, they are good things to do, but they won't earn our salvation. Don't be like Pharaoh who wanted God's help when he was in trouble. How often do we have people like that, that when they get into a difficulty and they need help, they will pray to God. But then when everything's okay, back to normal, I'm in control, I will live my life my way. Don't be like Pharaoh who did that. Please don't be like Pharaoh who refused to know God, even though his magicians were telling him, even though his people were pleading with him. Okay? You know, the signs are obvious with the ninth one, with the darkness. He knew it was God, even though he hadn't been told. Please don't be like Pharaoh there, where you're not listening to people who love you, telling you that one day Jesus is coming again. And the most important thing that we need to do in our life is not earn bags of money, is not have a really good career, is not be a superb pop singer or footballer or whatever your aspirations may be, you youngsters. Okay? It's to know God as our Saviour through Jesus. I want to go back to that mixed multitude. Remember, Israelites, Egyptians, slaves, poor, rich, anyone was saved that trusted God and followed his instructions. Anyone who was prepared and ready. And God will save anyone who looks to him for forgiveness and trusts in him. Acts 2 tells us, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In that tenth plague, the Egyptians didn't know when it was going to hit. They didn't know when they were going to lose their firstborn. Jesus is going to return one day. We don't know when that's going to be. It may be in our lifetime. It may be after our lifetime. We may die. We don't know when that's going to be. But my question is, are you prepared and ready for that day?